The sound of one sigh after another as Mulan weaves at the doorway. No sound of the loom and shuttle, only that of a girl lamenting. Ask her of whom she thinks, ask her for whom she longs. There is no one I think of, there is no one I long for. Last night I saw the army notice, the Khan is calling a great draft. A dozen volumes of battle rolls, and each one with my father's name. My father has no grown-up son, and I have no elder brother. I am willing to buy a horse and saddle to go to battle in my father's place. She buys a fine steed at the East Market, a saddle and blanket at the West Market, a bridle at the South Market, and a long whip at the North Market. She takes leave of her parents at dawn to camp beside the Yellow River at dusk. No sound of her parents hailing their girl, just the rumbling of waters at the Yellow River. She leaves the Yellow River at dawn to reach the Black Mountains by dusk. No sound of her parents hailing their girl, just the cries of barbarian cavalry at the Yan Hills. Ten thousand miles she rode in war, crossing passes and mountains as if on a wing. On the northern air comes a sentry's song. Cold light shines on her coat of steel. The general dead after a hundred battles. The warriors return after ten years. They return to see the Son of Heaven who sits in the Hall of Brilliance. The rolls of merit spin a dozen times, rewards in the hundreds and thousands. The Khan asks her what she desires. I have no need for the post of a gentleman official. I ask for the swiftest horse to carry me back to my hometown. Her parents, hearing their girl returns, out to the suburbs to welcome her back. Elder sister, hearing her sister returns, adjusts her rouge by the doorway. Little brother, hearing his sister returns, sharpens his knife for pigs and lamb. I open my east chamber door and sit on my west chamber bed. I take off my battle cloak and put on my old-time clothes. I adjust my wispy hair at the window sill and apply my bisque makeup by the mirror. I step up to see my comrades in arms. They are all surprised and astounded. We have traveled twelve years together, yet didn't realize Mulan was a lady. The buck bounds here and there whilst the doe has narrow eyes. But when the two rabbits run side by side, how can you tell the female from the male? The Ballad of Mulan Hua Mulan wove at her loom with a ferocity that did not seem possible for such a peaceful domestic activity. She sighed and stabbed at the brilliantly colored thread. In all of her seventeen years she had known this was coming, but she could not help her fury now that the day had arrived. Beside her, her sister Yulan calmly toiled with her own loom and shuttle. Their mother rocked their baby brother inside, but for the first time since his birth she hummed no lullaby. She only stared forward with glassy eyes, her mind full of hatching plans on how on earth she would survive and continue to feed her children. For all her life the barbarians to the north had swept across the border to raid the fertile agricultural villages of China. The emperor had responded by beginning work on a wall to protect the people, and more importantly, the agriculture of the region. While this kept their people and resources safe, the barbarian leader, Leopard Skin, seethed. His people had always taken what they needed from these border villages. They needed food, and surely they should not be expected to produce it themselves. Not when the local villages had it there, ripe for the taking. No man works when they can benefit from the labor of another. His culture was built upon this. What did it matter if the people who raised the crops did so because they needed the food to survive? A few short generations of taking what they want from those who worked for it had rendered them unwilling to do so for themselves. They were entitled to the possessions of others, without which they would allow themselves to starve. Mulan growled at her work. The lazy swine. If they would not work, then they should not eat, rather than steal from the mouths of the innocents they slaughtered, rather than take the wall as a symbol to start producing their own resources, they were gathering an army to steal the whole country rather than just its resources. Tensions had been rising until that day. The call, until it arrived, the call to the draft. Hua Hu 
had been one of the greatest generals of his age. He had trained all of the children of his household, Mulan, her siblings, and her cousins, to fight and be strong as soon as they could walk. Strong boys would gain the family honor. Strong girls would bear healthy babies for their families, and martial arts training trained one in discipline and strategy, vital skills in any walk of life. But, as of the last few years, there had been signs of trouble, signs of the unseen scars of many battles, signs of age. Hua Hu no longer had held himself high like a warrior, but stooped over his cane. His feet shuffled with none of their past agility. Should he be drafted, he would fall in the first battle, maybe sooner. By all rights, her older cousin, Mushu, should take up arms and represent their family in the war effort. He had been trained as every Hua child was. He was quick to speak of his devotion to China and his disdain for the barbarians. He so loved to flex his bulky muscles and brag about the pain that they would bring in battle. But when the order came for a man from their family to work in the war, Hua Mushu was suddenly quiet and timid. His hands trembled as he told Hua Hu how much he loved his life and how terrified he was to lose it. Mulan bristled in her silk robes and flushed under her makeup. Cousin, how dare you cling to your pitiful life? Is there no honor within you? Would you send your elder in your place? If you will not think of China, think of your family and the shame you would bring upon us all. Your dishonor will lead to the to our father falling quickly in battle, and this shame will hang heavily over our whole family. None of us will marry well, bride prices will be low, and our children's will grow up in poverty. our children will grow up in poverty. She couldn't believe it. How could he be so selfish? He condemned the whole family to low social status in order to save his own sorry skin. Mulan stopped her weaving and went to the well for a drink of water. Her halting, tiny steps left even tinier footprints. She remembered well being three years old when the footbinder came. She had soaked Mulan's feet, then slowly bent her toes towards the sole of the foot until the bones broke with a crunch. Little Mulan had wailed with pain as her mother struggled to keep the screaming toddler still. Another sickening crack as the binder broke the arch of Mulan's tiny, chubby feet. Keeping the toes bent as close to the sole as possible, the foot was wrapped as tightly as the lady could bind them in this position, then securely stitched so that the girl could not remove them and relieve the pain. By tucking her toes beneath her foot and breaking the arch, her feet would be as tiny as three to four inches long when the time came for her to marry. While she came from a well-thought-of family, foot-binding separated her, made her a cut above. Not only was it a sign of physical beauty, but it also made it clear from her gait that she was not someone who participated in manual labor. It was a way to increase her bride price and help her marry up, thus bringing honor to her family so that her children could marry even higher. It would all be for nothing if her cousin's cowardice or her father's defeat ruined it all. She shook her head. She had not spent years going through the agony of foot-binding so that her sisters and her children would live the life of shame and low social status. Any amount of pain was worth it for her to fulfill her role to uphold their family's honor, just as men would endure the pain of war to bring their family even more honor. Now it would all be for nothing. Mushu had ruined it all. No man of status wanted to marry the daughter of a shamefully easy kill. No man of honor wanted to, their children to have the blood of cowards in their veins. She never wanted to live at the peak of the Hua family. She never wanted to see it decline. The decline of honor in noble families was the decline of China itself. Mulan sighed again and looked at her reflection in the well. If only she were a strong boy instead of a beautiful maiden, then she could join the battle and fight for her family's honor. She studied her face. Her jawline was too small. Her skin was too smooth, her nose too dainty. Her large eyes and long lashes would give her away immediately. She was so pretty. She knew this from observation more than vanity. Beauty meant she would marry well and bring honor to the family. She had never thought of it as a disadvantage until now. But if she removed her foot bindings and makeup, if she mimicked Mushu's bluster and pompousness, maybe, just maybe, she had the beginnings of a plan.
Hey everyone, your Lemonade Mermaid here. Today we are going to talk about the classic tale of Hua Mulan. I've used lots of sources to make this as close to the original version as I could find. Minus the poetry, because frankly I'm terrible at poetry. I mean, awful. So you didn't want to hear me go into that. This is one of those tales that Disney adapted so loosely that it ends up having a completely different message than the original story, but we'll say more about that later, both Disney's versions and some of the other ones that were written after the fact. The earliest version of the story of Mulan comes from the Northern Wei Dynasty, and even it is based on an earlier record that no longer exists. So this is an incredibly old story. There's really no evidence that Mulan was ever a real person. In fact, her perfect Mary Sue character with no flaws in her, either her personality or physical appearance seems more like proof to the contrary. The matter of the fact, or sorry, the fact of the matter is that Mulan was created as a propaganda tool when army conscription was low. So these those complaining about Disney that both of the Disney Mulan movies are propaganda tools to get the Chinese all on Disney's side. Yeah, Mulan's kind of always been a tool of Chinese propaganda. That's really all she ever was. Mulan was created as kind of a reverse psychology way to shame Chinese men into joining the army. After all, if even a lowly woman, the equivalent of cattle in ancient China, could gain honor through battle, what excuse did a man have? This isn't exactly the empowering feminist message people like to spin the story with today. And while I'm not like a fem Nazi, I'm not huge behind the huge feminist cause, I'm not a man-hater, I do see the point. The story is a lot less inspiring to young girls when you realize that it's all pretty much an insult to girls. But it's still a fascinating story, and like any fairy tale, I think it deserves retelling. And, you know, part of my goal of this, you know, podcast is to talk about these older stories along with their original message. And since Mulan has been remade by Disney twice, both times with a completely different message from its original tale, I think it, it kind of bears retelling just to try and get closer to the roots of what the original story actually was. First thing that a lot of people debate is the name Mulan. While her first name is usually about the same, Mulan, uh, Mu means wood, Lan means orchid, so the name Mulan means magnolia. Her last name, Hua, means flower. And while in different versions her last name may be Hua, Fa, Zhu, all different versions of her name, um, it always means flower. So her name is simply magnolia flower which is super, super pretty. And it's kind of funny because in some versions of the tale, she doesn't even use an alias. And nobody kind of questions the fact that this incredibly powerful warrior man is named Magnolia Flower. Here in America, we'd be like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> so I don't know. It's just funny to me that it never comes up. Um, another fun fact, the Huns, who they fight in the Disney version of the movie, actually called themselves the Huns. Um, which simply means humans. The Chinese actually had a much ruder name for the Huns, which basically means ferocious slaves. I couldn't even begin to pronounce the, the Chinese myself. However, you can see why Disney preferred to go with the name that the Huns called themselves rather than bring up the topic of slavery in an already pretty dark, for the time, Disney movie. In the stories, they're also referred to as the Northern Barbarians, just to to keep it vague, because it is, of course, pretty vague what time period the story of Mulan actually takes place in. There are numerous times where they fought the Huns, and even more times when they fought, you know, pretty much everybody. So, in a lot of the versions, they just call them the Northern Barbarians and keep it pretty vague. So, back to the story. General Hua pulled her horse to a stop. It had been 12 years since she had last been to this place. How well she remembered it getting her parents' blessing before their tearful farewell. Everyone in town knew her father had no son, so she had to leave on her own instead with, of with the other villagers. Upon arrival to the camp, she had introduced herself as Hua Mushu, son of Hua Hu. 
the generals immediately made her captain over five hundred men a fitting place for the son of the elite war hero Huahu. she had had to be tougher than she could have ever imagined people wondered at the fact that no one had ever heard of Huahu having a grown son even more prevalent even among her own men at first was the word about some pretty boy leading a platoon of five hundred everywhere she went she heard the whispers about hua hu sorry she heard the whispers about hua mushu who was as lovely as a girl it was a long time before she had to stop beating people up for calling her a girl behind her back she hated doing it but she needed to make sure that no one had any doubts eventually people kept their comments to themselves no woman could fight like that she and her faithful second-in-command, Lou, led the army into battle. The hairs on her arms still rose when she remembered the day she met Leopardskin in battle. As their forces met on the field, it was clear very quickly that Leopardskin couldn't win. The cur left his men in battle to die as he ran back to the, his cave. Mulan had pursued him into the cave where he was already packed to, to desert his men. Mulan charged him, and using her advanced agility, she cut him down. They spent the remainder of the decade rooting out all of Leopardskin's supporters. She won some battles and lost some battles. She had seen glorious victory, and she had seen friends fall as she led her men like a chess master. Finally, China was safe. Mulan was summoned before the emperor himself. Both she and her commanding officer were given great honors and offered a position as an advisor to the emperor, along with anything else they could want. Mulan wanted nothing more than a horse and to go home finally home. Lou and her other subordinates met her along the way. They had followed her this far and would go the rest of the way with her. As they rode through town, they passed Mushu, bragging to the village girls about being a, the mighty hero of China. Mulan's men cast her a confused glance and she sighed and shook her head. When they reached her childhood home, she found it had been abandoned years ago. Her mother met her at the gate and explained that Hu had passed away and invited them all to dinner with Mulan's new step-family. While her men waited at the table, Mulan bathed and put on her silk robes and makeup and lightly perfumed herself. She detangled and styled her hair and slowly, painfully, used her family's secret herbal tonic to shrink her feet back to size. She didn't mind anymore. She and Payne were very familiar with each other. When she took her place at the dinner table, her men were surprised. They had had no idea that she was a lady. She replied that she had spent years trying to keep them oblivious. Lou immediately asked for her hand, and Mulan agreed to be his wife and submit to him in all things, though I'm sure if he tried to partake in the custom of taking on mistresses, I think she would have quickly reminded him how easily she could kill him. Now, for some discussion on the story of Mulan, which, I mean, honestly, as far as the earliest version we have, I literally read you the whole thing at the beginning of the podcast, so there's not much to glean from. A lot of the further details are filled in from the play. The female Mulan goes to war for her, or joins the army for her father. So that came out a little bit after the original poem, and then after that came a bunch more versions, so I'm trying to go with the oldest sources I could find. But it does kind of force you to do some discussion of the story, which is incredibly short. So, you know, there's a lot to unpack when things are vague. Um, by this time, it'll shock none of you that there are a huge number of differences in this tale. One version from the Tang Dynasty, so couple hundred years after the original, sees Mulan get captured after saving the emperor. She fights among the barbarian women as, you know, kind of her own enemy until the emperor demands to make her his concubine. Rather than do that, she takes her own life on her father's grave. Not only is this kind of not my favorite version, even though I usually dark, like darker stories, because... First of all, I think it kind of defies her entire characterization from the earlier version by having her fight on the side of her enemy. But also, I just it it's not 
her character. It's so out of character for her to betray her family and betray a position that would be a position of honor in Chinese society at the time. Another thing that's pretty commonly debated is, of course, the pronunciation of her name, which I mentioned earlier. There's also um, kind of back and forth about the amount of siblings she has and how old they are. Sometimes she has an older sister, sometimes a younger sister. She usually has a younger brother, but it's um, kind of stated just that he's too young to go to war. It doesn't state whether he's an infant, whether he's three or four or ten, but he's he's too young to be of any use in battle. So he's not even considered as a candidate for kind of taking her father's place. She does have the cousin, Kwa Mushu, who is supposed to be the one to go to battle, but he's too cowardly, which is kind of why Kwa Hu is put in the position of having to go, which of course is what puts Mulan in the position of having to go. Um, her marriage is also something that's kind of hotly debated. In a lot of versions, she's actually engaged before she goes off to war. And in some versions, her fiancé is so proud of her for being, you know, so patriotic to China that he actually waits for her the whole 12 years that she's at war against the advice of her father, I might add. In other versions, she marries her commanding officer, and in some versions, she marries her subordinate. Now, in almost every single one of these versions, her husband and her siblings all have different names. And so, you know, I just kind of picked what were the most common ones, or the ones that I was most likely to be able to pronounce. But... Overall, you know, not a lot of consistency on anybody's name except for Mulan, and even then it's just her first name. Her last name gets batted around a lot, too. So, now it's time for this week's version of Disney Lied to You. <laughs> I'm not going to do this with every fa fairy tale because Disney hasn't done an interpretation of every fairy tale. But whenever I do run into a story that is one that Disney has already done, I do want to do kind of a bit of a apples-to-apples comparison to see how it stands with the other. Now, the first thing you have to know before comparing the two is to understand why Disney made Mulan in the first place. Remember, up until Disney made Mulan, it had primarily dabbled in the grounds of fairy tales, especially Grimm's and Anderson's fairy tales. So it was kind of different for them to go to literally the other side of the world and pick this fairy tale out of seemingly nowhere. It went from traditional European tales to zoop over to China. How did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did they choose that particular tale? It seems like, if anything, it would be more Disney-style to do the journey westward. But nope, they went with Mulan. And proof that Mulan was not a typical Disney-style story lies in the fact that they had to change it so much to fit the Disney formula. Well... If you watch the news at all today, I'm sure you have figured out that, like everyone else, Disney is politically motivated. And their mo motivation for creating Mulan all the way back in 1998 was political. In 1996-97-ish, the Chinese government was mad at Disney for a movie that they had made about one of the Dalai Lamas, who was exiled by the Chinese. Thus, the film tended to portray the Chinese in a pretty negative light. This is why Universal didn't want to touch the film. So, for those of you out there going, oh, Universal's so much better than Disney when it comes to all of the politics and the social justice stuff and stuff like that. Universal, you know, they stay out of things, not like that Disney. Yeah, no, they stay out of things because they don't want to bear the scrutiny that Disney has to carry, but believe me, they feel the same way. So they didn't touch this Dalai Lama movie because they didn't have the guts. Well, China threatened to take away Disney's access to the entire Chinese market, and unlike today, where Disney bends like their spines made out of jello, back in 1997-98, Disney stood firm and released the film anyway. As a result, China banned several members of production of the movie from ever entering China, and were preparing to do the same for Disney. <laughs> Just a side note, can you imagine America reacting this way to a movie that depicted us in a bad light? Goodbye all of Hollywood, right? I mean, goodbye all Chinese movies. Nobody, no movies would pretty much ever show up here again because so many movies are produced 
with an exaggerated view of what's bad about America. So imagine if we reacted with big tantrums like this. But, you know, Chinese, Chinese people tend not to uh, be especially fond of free speech, so that's why they're allowed to react like petulant toddlers, and we in America are not. Anyway, as a way to make peace between China and Disney Studios to both keep selling their movies to a humongous Chinese audience, but also to be able to keep producing cheap merchandise for the parks and the Disney stores and all of that, Disney wants to keep a pretty good relationship with China, so they make Mulan to show China in a positive light as opposed to the negative light in which it was shown in the Dalai Lama movie. This is why the emperor of China is this calm, grandfatherly Confucian figure, and why Mulan's father forgives her for the incident with the matchmaker, even though that would have cost her her entire bride price, if not the fact that she was already engaged. I'll explain more about that later. Um, part of why these men are a bit too kind and forgiving in this movie, almost to supernatural levels, is because they were trying to depict Chinese people in as positive, glowing a light as possible. Now, the Chinese people weren't too thrilled with the Mulan animated film because it did kind of uh, eviscerate one of their cultural legends. It totally changed the story and even the message of the story. But it was enough pandering to mend the bridge, and most Disney merch is still made in China. Fast forward to the modern Mulan, Disney 2020, was made also to pander to China, but this time exclusively to the Chinese audience, which is actually where Disney movies get most of their money these days. They don't care if they give the middle finger to American audiences because they got that sweet, sweet Chinese money to go after. So what does it matter how we feel about things? If you don't know what I'm talking about, check out the way they treated John Boyega in Star Wars. It'll give you an idea. Um, so, you know, Disney doesn't bat an eyelash when the movie tanks here in the U.S. and nobody's buying it on Disney Plus because we're not the audience they're looking for. They don't care what our opinion of Mulan is. This is why they also opted to make the new movie have more of a kung fu movie feel and less of the comedy and songs that we as Americans like, especially when it comes to children's movies. They wanted that communist money so badly that they even kissed the toes of the Communist Party at the end credits by thanking them for letting Disney film some of the movie in right next to one of the concentration camps that they pretend don't exist. Very nice. Bend the knee, Disney. Bend the knee. Turns out your average Chinese citizen, though, is also not a wild fan of the Chinese Communist Party because, you know... If anybody knows how much those people stink, it would be the people who have to live under them. Because despite the CCC help and support, the movie is actually losing money in China too. So take that, Neo Ray Mulan Chosen One. So, you know, first had to launch into that, that kind of motivation that Disney had for making Mulan in the first place, since it's such an uncharacteristic movie for them. Now I'm going to go through and list some of the key differences between the animated Mulan and the original Mulan story, just to show how they kind of changed the entire messaging of the, um, of the Mulan story. First of all, this may shock some of you because one of the things China's known for is ancestor worship, but ancestor worship was actually not as big of a deal among women. This is because women, frankly, change families part of the way through our lives, especially in Chinese culture. So, you know, the family you marry into, those ancestors are not your ancestors. So you can't really normally pray to them. And the ancestors that you're born into will not be part of your family's heritage once you change families. So ancestor worship was typically more of a thing practiced among the men in Chinese culture because they would have the same ancestors their entire life, if that makes sense. Another thing that's different about the Disney movie is the entire character, Chi Fu, which is, you know, the obnoxious guy voiced by the same guy who does the voice of the goose in Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, this guy is a jerk in the Disney Mulan movie. And while it's not implicitly stated, the story heavily implies that this guy is a eunuch. 
This is why he's naturally skeptical and hateful of women. It was often eunuchs' job in the court to keep the emperor's wives in line, to keep them, you know, true to just the emperor. These women couldn't have a bunch of boyfriends because they had to be sure that all of the princes and princesses that descend from the emperor are truly descended from the emperor. So it was literally the eunuch's job and position to be constantly suspicious of women, which is why in a generally, you know, movie where they do, you know, kind of get a bit on the nose about depicting sexism against women to the point where sometimes it's a little preachy. There's a reason why Chifu is the worst offender. It's because it would literally be his job. Um, the name Chifu actually means to bully, but the point is there is no such character in the original Mulan legend. It's purely a Disney creation, doesn't exist in the original stories. So I don't know why Disney felt the need to put him in there if for no other reason to have somebody to be pretty savage about the gender stereotypes in the movie. I don't know. I guess they just really wanted to hammer that message in and they did it with one character. He was the hammer. <laughs> I don't know. Um, let's see here. Let's some other notes here. Oh, of course, the biggest difference is in Mulan's personality. Mulan is not an awkward, clumsy failure with no confidence. There was a line I stated um, reading the story where she talks about, if only I weren't a beautiful maiden. That's an actual line from the play, the female Mulan joins the army for her father, which is hundreds of years old. So, I mean, I guess modesty might be a trait that she lacks a little bit, but other than that, this character is pretty much too perfect to depict her as a clumsy, awkward failure who can't do anything right. She's kind of a slacker. Um, was a big part of why the Chinese people weren't super fond of the original animated Mulan movie, because their Mulan was almost too perfect. She was proud to be a beautiful maiden and also be strong in battle. She's not kind of this role model for alternate preferences or gender norms um, that we, a lot, well, not we, because I'm not included, but a lot of political views tend to prop her up to be. Uh, Mulan was supposed to be an example of perfect, submissive, delicate Chinese femininity, and that was supposed to emphasize the extremity of her choice to go to war. And so it's not that she's, you know, exploring her romantic feelings. It's that she is making the sacrifice of the feminine role model that she wants to be in order to save her family's honor. She's not some super-powered tomboy who breaks tradition to be all girl power or chosen one either, which is kind of more how she's depicted in the modern Mulan movie. Like, she has all these superpowers, and she has from an early age. Nope, Mulan is tough because she has trained for like a decade and a half to be tough, but she doesn't have any superpowers per se in the original Ballad of Mulan. It all comes from hard work and training. She didn't even get the cool Donny Osmond montage, guys. She just had to train up that way from an early age, which would give you a step up on the other guys in the army who may not have had any prior training. So while she wouldn't be physically as strong as a man, she'd be considerably more experienced than somebody who had never fought before, which is part of what gave her the kind of impression of seeming stronger than she was. But she was overall a, a perfect example of traditional feminine beauty. She had bound feet, she wore makeup, she was submissive, she poured tea, she didn't go to war to save her father or to find her place or to explore her her relationships. She knows her place as a lady and she's comfortable and confident with it. She left because her father's easy death would dishonor the family, dishonor the entire nation, and drive down the bride price for her and her sister which would effectively drive their family into poverty. You don't make money on daughters the way you do on sons because a son is a part of your family forever. So your compensation for losing the daughters is literally a money compensation. Daughters were bought and sold. And if, you know, if, 
if Huahu, I'm trying to say all these names, if Huahu dies easily in battle, that deletes the entire prestige that he built being a war hero prior to it, and thus decreases the bride price for both Mulan and her sister. So it is important to maintain that honor. Honor alone was fought for and died for, not just because of your own personal pride, but because of your family's upward mobility socially. If you backtrack, your family backtracks with you. So you have to maintain that social hierarchy if you want to climb higher. So it was less of a daddy's girl situation and more of a I don't want my whole family to fail situation because you know here from America we have a, a couple you know a little bit of hierarchy here and there but there is no strictly legally enforced social hierarchy the way there was in countries in those days and the, the way there is in some countries still today so for us it's kind of a weird concept to wrap our heads around that you have to Every member of your family has to be perfect, has to bind their feet, has to wear makeup, has to be perfectly poised in public, um, cannot lose in a battle, cannot be an easy kill, cannot show any signs of cowardice or shameful behavior, because not only does that take you down, it takes down your whole family. Whereas here in America, we tend to think of that as just being an embarrassing thing that happens to you. In ancient China, you just took out the whole family. Like, you kamikaze your whole family. I don't know if I should use a Japanese word in a Chinese story, but I'm just trying to show how important this concept of honor was to them because it determined your entire financial future of your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. So Mulan didn't just do this because she just loved her daddy so much, and she didn't do it to make a feminist point about girls can do this too. She did it so that they wouldn't be poor for the rest of her life, and her children's lives, and her grandchildren's lives. So it was a much greater stakes when you understand the higher social hierarchy that they had than just, oh man, I have to cut my hair and prove that I'm a girl so I can do this too. Um, so Mulan really was not a message of equality. She was literally just there to kind of name and shame men into being men instead of being man boys. You know, just showing, hey, if a girl can do this, what are you capable of? And whatever you're capable of, you better get out there and do it. Now, Disney, when they made their Mulan universe, they kind of mixed the Han and Tang dynasty, specifically somewhere in like the first 70 years of the Tang dynasty. I think this is a shout out to the newer addition to the story that I mentioned earlier, where she ends her life on her father's grave. That version of the story takes place in the Tang dynasty and was written in the Tang dynasty, which is several hundred years after the original story, which is why they put the Han dynasty in there too. Also the mixing of both art forms from the Han and Tang dynasty tends to make things a little more ambiguously Chinese, which kind of helps blur the lines and the storylines. Um, I kind of love, too, part of the biggest show of pandering to China was, again, the emperor. I mentioned this earlier, but it, it's, it just cracks me up. Even as a kid, I thought it was a little weird that kings in Western movies are usually depicted as, you know, cruel and tyrannical at worst and bumbling and goofy, like, um, like I don't know, King Stefan in... Uh, in Sleeping Beauty at best, you know, to me then to see the Emperor of China depicted as this wise, sweet grandpa, even when I was young and this movie came out, seemed a little bit of a weird contrast. And again, that's specifically to pander to the Chinese audience. And that's another thing that I didn't like about the later version of Mulan that was written during the Tang Dynasty, is it does kind of continue this, oh, the emperor is so kind and so sweet and pardons everybody for everything. The funny thing is, the emperor during the Tang Dynasty was not like that at all. And so I wonder if the person who wrote the story kind of made the emperor a little nice so that the emperor would leave them alone. I don't know. But the emperors of China usually had about as much compassion for the common people as they do today. None. People were just an asset, like wood, agriculture, or other natural resources to be used. The emperor would never, never tell General Li to abandon his own personal guard so that he would have more soldiers to protect his people. This happens like in the second scene of the movie, and 
real Chinese emperor would be like, heck yeah, bring your army to my palace, keep me safe. Those other farmers and stuff, they can they can protect themselves. I care more about the farmland and the mineral resources, the people. I mean, you can always make more people. So this was kind of uh, out of place in the Disney movie, and again, was just to, to make China happy by depicting them in a positive light. Another scene that doesn't really happen in the Mulan story, but does add some context, is the matchmaker scene in Disney's Mulan. Now, it's implied in Disney's Mulan that the matchmaker matches you with a husband, and that's how it's determined who you're going to marry. In ancient China, this was not the case. A matchmaker was a go-between between two families in order to complete business transactions so that there would be no awkwardness between those two, fa two families when discussing the financial pros and cons. And while this did take place when it came to marriage, because marriage in ancient China was just another business transaction, it also took place with, like, real estate buying and selling and stuff like that. The matchmaker was basically the middleman so that things wouldn't get uncomfortable if one family thought a piece of land or a resource or a daughter was worth more than another family did. So the implication that the matchmaker is finding a husband for Mulan in the Disney movie is actually meant to be that Mulan has already found one. There has already been an offer for her hand. The matchmaker's task at this point is not to find the husband, but to determine Mulan's bride price. Uh, she's deciding what Mulan is worth so that future mama and papa-in-law know what to pay for her. Because again, women were a commodity at that point. Um, she would make this decision based on Mulan's manners, her lineage, her, her grooming, her physical health to determine whether or not she would have child, you know, trouble in childbirth. All of this would be calculated into the business deal, not between Mulan and her future husband, but between her parents and his parents. Marriage was considered far too important of a task to be left in the hands of the young, and therefore these young people getting married, I mean Mulan was 17, they often had no choice, not only the bride, but the groom also often had no choice who they were going to marry, and it was the matchmaker's job to determine what exactly the dowry would be in this instance. This is why I found it kind of unbelievable that Mulan's father was so so like blasé and it's okay and comforting about the fact that Mulan had a pretty bad meeting with the matchmaker because in real life she'd probably be leaving with a few bruises after meeting with dad after that because even if her future husband's mother and father still wanted the guy to marry her they'll be lucky to get a couple cabbages for her at this point because she has has absolutely humiliated her family and possibly her potential fiance's family. And uh, her bride price is effectively zero at this point. Not only is this damaging to Mulan, but in the uh, legendary Mulan's case where she had two, at least two younger siblings, it would also damage the price for them. Because as I mentioned before about honor, these things seem to be a family collective. So she would have not just screwed things up for her, but for everybody in her family. And uh, it's not good. It's not good. She lowered the marriage prospects for, bo for both of her siblings by being effectively a failure. Legendary Mulan, this would not have been considered out of the question for her. She would have shown up and done very well at this meeting because, again, she was both very confident and very competent. She also wouldn't have had the same attitude as the modern 2020 Mulan, who is all, oh, I don't want to get married. I'm a strong, independent girl. She, you know, even in, the, even in the trailers, you can see her just making this face of impending doom every time somebody mentions her getting married. She's just horrified. Like, it's never occurred to a woman in ancient China that at some point she may have to get married. Nope. Nope. She seems shocked and horrified by the prospect. Well, you know, no. Mulan of Legend would have not only 
understood that this was her role from an early age, but she would have understood that she was being trained for that from an early age, and she would have faced it with honor and grace and poise rather than a whiny temper tantrum. It's almost implied in the trailer to the new Mulan that not only does Mulan leave for the army for her father, but also kind of to not get married. Um, yeah, legendary Mulan was not only not that much of a coward, but she also had a much stronger grip on what was her responsibility, regardless of whether it was what she wanted. And so, I don't know, hand over fist, Mulan in the legend seems to pretty roundly kick our modern Mulan's butts. Both of their butts. So many butts are being kicked. And, I don't know, I kind of like it. And I kind of like the interesting dichotomy of the fact that after she does marry, usually one of her subordinates in the army, that she becomes this, again, perfect, pristine, submissive housewife who wears her silk gowns and her makeup and does her hair and pours tea. And she submits to her husband in everything, despite the fact that she outranked him in the military. So, I don't know, I just kind of find that very, very funny that, you know, people hold her up as this feminist girl power sign when really, in a way, she was this symbol for girl power in the sense of the power that comes with being a girl, not in the modern sense where we believe girls have to be as tough and as strong and as rough as men, but really, she was a show of what was special and unique about femininity itself, about being feminine and delicate and beautiful and taking the time and the energy to do that very deliberately rather than trying to straddle the lines between being a woman and being a man and reaching for men's power even as she's a woman. Um, you know, Mulan wasn't really about that. She was proud and happy not only to be a woman, but to fulfill her female role in her patriarchal society at the time. And she saw what strength there was in that role. Rather than going after the strength of men, she reveled in the strength that women have. And she is only pushed to join the army out of the desire to protect her entire family, not only her generation, but the generations onward. So she doesn't go to camp and join the army out of a desire to be masculine and physically strong and be like a man and shove it to the patriarchy or whatever. She does it because it's her last resort to protect her family, as mothers have done since the dawn of time, as women have done from the dawn of time. She just happens to have to take on this non-traditional role in order to do it. So really, if anything, whilst it doesn't force her out of her comfort zone, it forces her into a different role. And even before she's married or engaged or anything like that, when she returns home, she willingly resumes her role as a delicate, beautiful woman afterwards, rather than you know, trying to continue to quote-unquote liberate herself by acting like a man. She, of her own free will, immediately upon arriving home, puts back her makeup, puts back her robes, and becomes what she was born to be and what she's trained to be and what she knows how to be and accepts her role within the society that this story was structured in. And yes, it's very different from our society today. And, uh, I mean, honestly, there's not like a whole ton <laughs> to praise about Chinese society, but at least... You know, she, she accepts and understands her role without trying to constantly prove her worth by taking on someone else's role. She, she understands that she doesn't have to be as masculine a woman as possible to be valuable as a woman. That there are special strengths that women have that are equal to men's strength, but very different. And that being different from a man does not make you less than one. And strong and capable in both of these roles. She's not inept at being a man or inept at being a woman. And 
the fact that she chooses to live the remainder of her life as a woman when she has the strength to be a man if she wants to proves which of those roles that she thinks is ultimately the most valuable not only to her but to her family and her society and so to me I think you know just making Mulan into this rah rah girl power character and oh man she wears pants you know <laughs> it's to me it just it 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 kind of kills what her character actually is and what she represents not only in the sense that really the story whole story originally was kind of an insult to women and saying if something as lowly as a, as a female creature could could rule an army and bring honor to their family then what excuse do men have so in that sense the story was originally kind of insulting to women but also i don't know i just uh, I feel like the so much of the original message of the story is killed by all of this, and it's up to you whether or not you agree with the original message. I think it has some merits, but um, I don't know it's very different from what we are given and what we are told today. And the purpose of this podcast is to bring out the original meanings of some of these old and ancient tales, and um, I think that especially needs to resurface with Mulan because we've been so infused with the more modern girl power interpretations of her story that we kind of lose the fact that this is really a story about patriotism for your country, doing anything you can for your country and your family. And uh, it's more about that than it is about, oh, it's a girl who wore boy clothes. <gasps> it's a girl who did boy things. You know, it's, it's, it's not about that. And I think it's really short-sighted to act as though the story was about that. And I think it loses a lot of its meaning when we behave in this way. So I hope you enjoyed me tearing down some of the Disney magic and uh, getting a little closer to the original story of Kwa Mulan. Of course, I'm not Chinese, as evidenced by my my huge difficulty pronouncing a lot of these names along the way through the story. So... Um, you know, I, I think the context from an actual Chinese person would be pretty different, though from what I hear, a lot of girls are taking the message of Mulan to be a little more girl power these days, even in China, whereas originally it was super not that. But um, I don't know, I feel like, you know, I wish I had somebody Chinese that I knew who could give kind of that interpretation of the story, but... Unfortunately, I don't, so I did the best I could with all of the sources I could find to give you the general structure and meaning of the original story with as much research as I could possibly do, and I really hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and have a wonderful weekend.